welcome to Restart Radio Show, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we do not focus on the new shiny, shiny things to buy. We focus on the value in the stuff you already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. Our monthly community electronic repair events here in London are just the beginning. My name is Ugo Valauri from the Restart Project, and I'm your host today. I'm joined by Ben Hi. and Faraz, Hiya. two long-time restarters. And uh, today we're going to have a show packed with reports from different events and places we visited in the past week and a couple of interesting news we've been reading so guys you've been quite busy over the whole week um mm. you spent sunday at a mini maker fair yeah it's the uh, institute of imagination mini maker fair so it was uh, it was aimed at children so uh, getting those guys excited about tech yeah so what's a mini maker fair for those they're listening that have not been to one um well the original maker fair concept was to bring you know people who identify as makers together so that could be technical people people who like creating um stuff sometimes using machinery or other ways uh and electrical things and after the first maker fair it, it kind of disseminated and, and traveled around the world so a mini maker fair is a, a smaller event in a community it might be in london or another city or in another country and uh, it kind of brings those people together to kind of share ideas and, and celebrate and also hopefully excite new people. Excellent. And uh, this was about young people and their parents. Yeah, so obviously, uh, you know, this is sort of uh, everything from five and six-year-olds up. Uh, and it's kids who are into robotics or programming or just electronic toys. Um, and so they were all brought by parents. And you did see a strong spectrum of uh, geeky parents who wanted to get their kids into it too, you know. Brilliant. And so you guys had a stall, a restart stall, fixing things at the fair? Yeah, so, you know, uh, at our restart parties, we normally would uh, say we would help you repair anything electronic, um, but this was focused on toys. So we had a banner saying, you know, uh, we'll help you repair your toys. So we fixed a few toy cars, a few toy ponies, uh, a few things like that, um, while kind of spreading the ideas that we that we're excited about. So we suspect we might see more electrical toys coming to us as a result. I definitely think so. There are a lot of parents going, oh, if only I'd brought this. You know, every family has a broken toy that's uh, it's the kid's favourite thing at some point. So they're holding on to it, even though it doesn't work. Um, and I, I kind of knew before the event, actually, uh, take loads of batteries, because that's probably what's going to be the main fault. And it, and it was, actually, yeah. Batteries in the cars? Well, yeah, but, you know, a lot of electronic toys, people think they're broken, but really they just haven't gone out and bought four double A's because uh, you go through them like crazy, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a little bit crazy, but I guess that's enough to, to, to teach a little bit about having the patience to, to look for a fault. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's actually saying who will see at the next restart parties. My main excitement is uh, the two or three kids who, who really got stuck in with a screwdriver and said they'd like to come and help. So I'd like to see a younger generation coming and, and learning the repair skills. Yeah. So for us, what did you like most uh, uh, at the event? Um, yeah, it, it was a great event. Uh, loads of loads of people coming past and really excited about Restart. I'm, I'm surprised how, um, well, um, quite a few of them haven't 
actually come across the the idea before, but they, they they were really enthusiastic and really interested in it. And we had to we had to at times remind them, oh yeah, restart is more than just fixing toys. So uh, so you can bring along um, other devices you might have at home and and uh, to a to a new restart party. But I, I do suspect that uh, our next few restart parties are going to have <laughs> a, a lot of toys because because of the event that we have there. But if you think about it, uh, you know, if you have a broken laptop or a phone, there are shops out there that still do that work. But I can't really think of any shop that would fix toys. It's very true. I mean, you know, even toy shops themselves, I think, are relatively rare. I mean, as a kid, there used to be places that were just toys and you'd get airfix kits and these very hobby-oriented toys that would become something you spent a lot of time on. Uh, whereas now I think it's it's all mostly retail and the toy is just advertised on TV and they stick it in a department store and that's it. So, you know, maybe even the kind of people who love, who, who adults who love toys and love bringing that to children, maybe they don't get to, to see as much business as they used to. Definitely. So I had to confess one of the things we did over the past week was we, we ventured to Peckham mm. and uh, then you were there as well and yeah. we went and explored a wonderful place that brought back my own memories of a teenager playing video games and it's uh, an arcade bar called uh, Four Quarters yeah. where you can play some of the classic arcade games uh, um, in the actual arcade box machines that have been restored yeah. and maintained so that you can play it like we used to play 25, 30 years ago and uh, if you haven't been it's well worth uh, a visit. Um, what did you think of that place? It, it was loads of fun. I mean, um, I grew up playing computer games, so there was stuff there from my childhood and before all the way up to, to almost current. And I thought, you know, as a kid, I didn't like it, maybe because I didn't have much money to play in arcades. So I thought I wouldn't enjoy it as much as I did because uh, actually, you know, you go up and there's a vending machine, you, you put a pound in and you get four quarters and you can try four machines out. And, you know, a lot of them are two-player, and because it's a bar, it's an evening thing, people are there to socialise. I, I made friends even, so actually I would definitely go back. Yeah, it was yeah. great. I was particularly struck by being able to play again a couple of games that I really used to love literally over 20 years ago. And uh, a picture went around the internet <laughs> afterwards of me playing uh, Super Hang-On, which was one of the Sega classics where you are playing a motorcycle driver and it it makes a difference that you're actually playing it using that old machine with the bar, the, the handlebar and yeah. like in a real motorcycle there's something special to it i think i don't think it's just a nostalgia although obviously i'm a little bit nostalgic <laughs> but i wonder how many of these machines still exist um I think there would have been a dip where they weren't so popular, but now um, a lot of the people growing up playing them have matured and can afford to either have one at home or they want to go somewhere they can do it as a social thing. So they're being restored and they're being looked into because um, I know that a lot of the time the cabinets are the same for several games and it's just the board uh, with the game on it that you change. So it's quite a strong trade of kind of um, buying and selling and repairing these things. Um, you know, eBay's a typically good place where you'll find someone has figured out how to hack this game onto that platform and they've made a PCB. There's a, there's a strong scene, although it might be a bit underground right now. Very interesting. I, I remember, uh, well, playing Super Off-Road in three people and although, <laughs> I, <laughs> although it was at first very very easy apparently then it got very very difficult all at once and uh, all the <laughs> coins went yes yeah, so the caveat is 
it's quarters, but you pay in pounds. So yeah. you lose about 25% compared to playing in the US. But it's well worth the visit, definitely. Mm. And they do have Pac-Man, if you're wondering. <laughs> yeah. Some restarters were a bit upset that other classic favorites like uh, Pang and others were missing. But there's a, quite an interesting selection. So it's mm. well, well recommended. But YouTube were incredibly busy. So going back into the rest of the week, you took part in a day at UCL, yep. um, helping out a group of students working on a course called, iconically, How to Change the World. For us, what did you make of it? Um, yeah, it's, it's always good to uh, to give uh, an insight into into the world of repair and, and electronic waste uh, from, from a restarter's point of view. Um, uh, there, there's a, there's a lot of things uh, and a lot of interesting new concepts that they've they've come up with, um, but there there are parts of them parts of the ideas that um, with our input we could we could sort of refine and sort of uh, uh, sort of adapt into the right direction. I think. So they were working on a brief to look into the future of um, repair, but the future of manufacturing of electrical and electronics, looking at improving the resource efficiency, so reducing waste, not just in terms of the amount of things that we throw away, but also the wasteful mm. aspects of the systemic issue. So what, what did they seem to be mostly interested in? Um, well, the, uh, before we saw them, because we saw them in the middle of a two-week uh, workshop, they'd been briefed by uh, some people called the Ellen MacArthur Foundation on the circular economy. So I think they were told that the basic tenets of how, where we need to go and how we need to make it happen. Um, so from a design perspective, they were really thinking about, you know, um, manufacturers who are responsible for repair, basically. The, 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 the strong theme seemed to be either manufacturers who would repair their devices uh, rather than it being an expensive service. It was tied into the ownership um, or making parts more available, making repair more available. So I think they were focusing on that back end of rather than just things that last longer because that's often a, a, a choice of purchase, the thing that lasts longer or not. They were saying things um, should be repairable after they do fail. So the focus seems to be on, on repair and restoration. And while obviously we, we like the idea that we can repair ourselves most things, mm. it doesn't seem to be the case for most people to be able to afford the time, the skills and uh, the patience at times. Yeah. And if any of our listeners had a listen to our last week episode that told the story of my sad adventures in repairing a mobile <laughs> phone, you'll know that at times the barriers are quite high. And uh, so it, it's understandable that people are a little bit reluctant. So there is mm. space for both an approach that's bottom up and also for better support from manufacturers directly. Yeah. And the type of um, approaches that uh, students were working on what what struck you as most exciting um a couple of ideas came to me that i really enjoyed the first was uh obviously these guys as designers they're learning about new materials that i haven't heard of and there are plastics made of cellulose that uh you know they're a perfectly normal plastic but they can be broken down with a particular chemical or enzyme so they talked about making circuit boards out of this material so it functions like a normal circuit board for its lifetime. But when it comes time to recycle or, or reuse components, uh, there's a really simple process just to strip all the parts off so they're available. 
because really once you have all these components soldered to a circuit board it's quite hard to retrieve and reuse them and and what i liked about it was it doesn't affect the product during the user's lifetime it doesn't make it uh, harder to use or more fragile it's it's perfectly standard but it then can go on and do something else easier does it mean that the um, board would dissolve and uh, the components will be reusable as a result that's the idea yeah but what happens to the soldering um i think because the, the nature of soldering is that the larger the item the harder it is to desolder because it can contain more uh, heat energy before it melts so if you take away the majority of the bulk it's much easier to then desolder these individual components uh, and you're less likely to damage them okay so it would accelerate the process so this is an innovation that already exists and uh, it could be applied to the future manufacturing of electronics yeah it sounded like it to me yeah that's exciting for us what did you think of that um yeah i think i think um something like that um i think um i'm a bit uh skeptical with the manufacturers who are will be uh keen to take all these parts back because then they'll have to check check them up again and 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 so on so um if if there was something in between uh where there was like a secondary market for these parts uh, where maybe smaller companies that are that are starting up could could reuse them, or you know, hobbyists, uh, it can be resold in in a, in a cheaper way. Um, I think that that will be where these parts might be used. These components. Mm. Very interesting. So yeah, it's not necessarily so easy to bring back uh, into the main manufacturing cycle yeah. mm. all the parts. That's what a lot of companies probably are struggling with and when they think about a more circular, so to say, approach. Yeah, manufacturers don't really have a circular approach. It tends to be quite linear. It starts wherever they start, whether it's supply chain or, or even production of parts. And then they kind of go, okay, it's gone out into the wild and we're, we're hands off. And, and um, it might be hard to change that model, but I think it's the direction to go in. You're listening to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm back with Faraz and Ben uh, talking about what they learned at the How to Change the World uh, seminar course happening at UCL. Um, what models did you see emerge uh, or were you inspired by in terms of provision of parts for products? Um a lot of students seemed to be working on a model that, that actually left the control to the manufacturer, whether it was uh, w you send the product back and we repair it, or uh, you know you can get parts from us, but only if you prove you own the device. Um, so that, that seemed a little bit limited, um, but a lot of people seemed then focused on reuse. So, um, you know, uh, designing parts that once they're done from one device, they can be used for another device, whether it's remanufacturing, or um, refurbishing things. So like with phones, you know, the newest cutting edge phone will have maybe two years lifespan with its owner who will probably then get another cutting edge phone. Uh, but it could be refurbished and go to someone who wants a cheaper model. And it could then be refurbished again and go to another country where they don't tend to buy the, the newest models. So people were trying to enable this kind of um, continuous use of materials. Was there any other direction that you didn't foresee when attending? Um, there was there was one idea like well, we've we've come across that the this concept bef uh, before where 
where people speculate the end of Moore's law and uh, that our, our devices will um, almost have like a heirloom sort of um, feel to them, like they they'll be passed down from generation to generation just because the the devices themselves won't be any more powerful than than the previous ones. So more effort will be made into making these really cherishable sort of devices. And uh, I like I quite like one of the ideas that one of the groups came up with, which was to do with um, trying to take secondhand uh, devices, but re re sort of uh, branding them, re re sort of uh, casing them, encasing them into a customized case, so you can decide how exactly you want your device to look, and um, that w- that will give you a more sentimental attachment to to your device, and, and you're you're more likely to to cherish that and and keep it for longer. I think. And does it involve designing a case or a shell for a device? It it will probably there will it will probably be a service which uh, which can um, combine maybe. Uh, another another aspect to it is maybe even combining multiple devices. So if you had some some old speakers and an iPod, you can actually combine the device together. And the ser- the service which the company would do would be the the design aspect of things and uh, and sourcing the the re- like the reusable the the old ele- secondhand electronics. Yeah, it, it's fascinating because this brings to life the real issue around the the real modularity of products Mm. or the durability and what is it that people might want to upgrade i mean there's been so much focus on modularity perceived as the ability to add an extra camera or an extra something but not so much about making something that's a bit beat up perhaps uh, look great Mm -hmm. and uh, your own very own a unique device again this is my secret dream that I, I don't talk about much because i don't think they'll ever bring it to the customer which is a phone where you choose where the buttons go and you choose the shape of the of the shell and the thickness so i would go okay my thumb goes here i want a button there i want two buttons there and then you kind of either put it together yourself or you order the piece that fits it but everything seems to be so cookie cutter that even different brands of phone look the same now and i think if everyone could choose exactly how things worked they'd be much more likely to hold on to them We'll see if your <laughs> dreams become reality. Yeah. In the meantime, some of our dreams are becoming nightmares, however. <laughs> when you look at uh, the directions that the so-called modular smartphones are taking, um, it was news a few weeks ago that actually the latest iteration of the modular phone to be by Google ends up having most components in the same um part uh, which means that it's not that modular and in case you break the screen you might need to change most of the device which really goes to show that what are the incentives um, for manufacturers to imagine a more uh, upgradable device it's not necessarily to Mm. make your life easier when you're trying to repair something Mm. so that that is a little bit of a challenge so we were looking at the news from this week and uh, yesterday, for those of you obsessed with Apple, it was <laughs> a day of announcements, um, not new hardware for once, that's never a bad thing, but a lot of software innovations happening. And uh, we had one very good news, uh, well, decent news and one bad news. We'll go with the good news first. Um, apparently with the next version of the um, iOS, so the operating system for your f- 
iPhone or tablet, um, you'll finally be able to delete uh, applications that you don't want that were bundled with the operating system. Hopefully that might mean that you can save some space, particularly on devices that don't come with much memory. Mm. That's quite a big, uh, a big thing is, is releasing phones with a small memory, which is almost disabling them from longevity. You see, if you give it uh, just enough memory to work now, in a year or two with updates, things tend to slow down. And it's quite a, quite a common way to guarantee someone's going to buy a new phone is to give them a crippled phone. Uh, People have been asking for this for maybe five years, so yeah. it's uh, <laughs> quite a welcome um, uh, step. And I hope that it will be followed by um, Android mm -hmm. developers as well. I was at the Hackney Restart Party, uh, Hackney Fixers Restart Party in London Fields, very busy event last Saturday, and I helped uh, someone who had a, a very slow Android uh, phone, which was made so slow first and foremost by having both Facebook and Messenger apps, which I immediately deleted as she didn't really need them. But then it had all these other kinds of, all these other apps that were running on the phone that she had no interest in and mostly were related to Google Cloud offering from mm -hmm. Google News, music, uh, movies and all kinds of other things using a lot of space and making the device incredibly slow. And there was no way she was running an older version of the operating system where you can't even disable them. Yeah. And certainly you can't uninstall them. And that was quite uh, traumatic of <laughs> not being able to really have a solution for her. So on the other side, uh, some bad news for those of you that have Macs that are from 2009, 8 or 7. What was the announcement at the developers conference? So they said uh, that with the new, uh, the new version of OS X, um, it's going to uh, not run on anything pre-2008, middle of 2008. So several generations of devices are going to be uh, removed from all future updates. So depending on the machines, it will be between 2008 and 2010. So mm. up to some, uh, all the 2009 and 8, depending on the type of machine, you'll have to check it out. Uh, but it means that you probably still have a couple of years of security updates on your current uh, operating system, provided yep. that you have updated to El Capitan. Uh, but other than changing the name of the OS to Mac OS and no mm -hmm. longer OS X. Uh, the news is, yes, there are machines that seem somehow arbitrarily, or at least from the outside, uh, have been selected as now obsolete, and others that instead are still supported. And it's interesting because it there's tons of information online on how to load um, a no longer theoretically mm -hmm. supported operating system on a machine that is instead actually c quite capable of yeah. running them. And I wonder whether this will propel further um, initiatives in this area. Yeah, I find it interesting that they've said, uh, okay, your, your hardware, which you own, is now not useful anymore. So rather than you deciding, okay, my computer's too old, I'll buy a new one, they've said, no, we're telling you. It, it's done. The, it's at the end of its lifespan. Yeah, and of course, you can always run 
Linux and many mm -hmm. different flavors on these machines, and it runs even faster than uh, Mac OS X. Mm -hmm. Let's not forget. And given that they are both based on Unix, um, the original architecture, that means that you can still do quite a lot of the functionalities that you already had. Absolutely. Now for something quite different, uh, which we really enjoy reading about, there is a cult uh, for a specific series of models of tractors from the mid-60s that are becoming the most sought-after second-hand tractors, and there's people auctioning them to then take them across the world, particularly to African countries. And uh, we just read a story on the BBC about this. And we, they're from a manufacturer called Massey's. What did you make of this? It, it was really interesting because it resonated with me, I understood. Um, but I'm surprised to find there's more or less one or two models of tractor from, uh, I think, the mid-60s to mid-70s that they produced hundreds of thousands a year. And they still use them. They say they'll probably last another 50 years. Um, so, you know, they're so simple that they just will work no matter what. They're easy to maintain and uh, people are travelling around the world to get them. I mean, you would think that it was not uh, financially viable, but I guess in this case, reliability is number one. So we're talking about Massey Ferguson 135 or 165. So these were manufactured in the mid-60s. Mm -hmm. And apparently at auctions are now sold at two to £2,500 each. Mm -hmm. And there's people traveling from as far as Somalia coming to the UK or other places, buying them in auctions and taking them apart, fitting them in containers and uh, sending them over to countries where they will still be used. Mm -hmm. and, and we read that actually part of the... Um, allure is to do with the lack of any electrical part in yeah. in these tractors. Yeah. So you don't need any electricity or any circuit to be still in operation because there's none. Yeah. You just need some good old, old oil and diesel and it will work. Mm -hmm. So that makes you wonder, and someone was commenting online, why don't they make phones like they used to make, but why don't they make tractors the the way they used to make That's tractors? Mm. So someone was even saying that um, you can even let them stay idle for 10 years and they will still run the first time mm. you try to switch it on. It's quite fascinating. Mm. At a time when, when you speak to someone working with cars, you can't even change mm. a light bulb in your car without checking with a computer whether it's uh, uh, okay or not. Wow apparently in some cases so maybe we shouldn't focus just on uh, um, electronics but we should go back and look at tractors as a source of inspiration <laughs> We are still at Restart Radio we are running out of time and uh, just enough to talk about a couple of upcoming events. Um, there's no restart parties happening in London this weekend, but uh, we'll have a very packed uh, week next week, starting with an event in Tooting on Tuesday the um, 21st 
in the evening. Uh, we're back with Transition Tooting. And then an exciting event that we're just flagging for now, um, which will take place for the whole weekend um, on Friday the 24th uh, from 5 p.m. all the way to Sunday the 26th at 5 p.m. The longest three-star party ever, 48 hours of repair, sort of, in the courtyard of Somerset House as part of the Utopia Fair uh, Festival. But more about this next week. But start looking for things to repair and join us in a, another outdoor event. Thanks, Ben and Faraz. Cheers. And you can find more information about upcoming events on our website, therestartproject.org, at Restart Project on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks again and till next week. <laughs>